social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. Or should we say bye-bye? Bye-bye to Quibi. Is anyone really sad about this? I'm sad because you? I, you didn't even watch. I never watched it, but I just hate to see ideas die. Yeah, that's the creative Like someone's you. dream. I know, I know. They I tried. So, they definitely tried. Yeah, for those who don't know Quibi, which is probably impossible to not know them because of all the ads, but also you might not know them because it never really took off. But Quibi was a platform for streaming vertical-only short videos, but not just videos, like TV shows mm-hmm. with A-list actors. Yeah. And Quibi launched on April 6th. 2020 and it recently reported that it's shutting down despite the 1.75 billion dollars the app raised i don't know i just feel like there wasn't a market for it even though people were watching more videos at home because of the pandemic it just wasn't so i think that the mistake was making it a subscription service Mm. so it was 4.99 a month with ads and 7.99 ad free but think about when people are watching videos on their phones, all this, like, th- look at TikTok, look at Facebook. You don't need to pay to be entertained. Yeah. And I think if they would have just been an app similar to TikTok with more ads to help cover the subscriptions yeah. to keep them running, I think probably would have done better. It's a totally fair point. Yeah. So we're sad to see them go. But of course, as Michelle already mentioned, we have YouTube, we have TikTok, we have other modes of watching. We have a lot to keep us entertained. Yeah, at this point. Do you remember what you asked me about Borat the other day? I said, I'm surprised people don't recognize the Borat from the first movie. Right. Well, so I've started to think about it because I kept getting Borat ads on TikTok Mm -hmm. for the new movie. Oh, I guess the young kids don't know. Exactly, which I found so interesting. Yeah. You kind of put that question in my brain and I've been trying to solve the problem. I'm about to blow your mind. Okay, I'm ready. Related. Go ahead. So I saw a TikTok last night that said, remember in the 90s when people would talk about the 60s (laughs) and it felt so long ago, it's this 30 year gap. That's what the 90s is to people talking about it now. Wow. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm following completely. Like I mean, the same amount of time, time between the 60s and the 90s. Yeah, that's kind of wild now. to think about. Hmm. Time flies. Yeah, it's already November. Next week is the election. Yeah, so I wanted to share something from Facebook. Um, they've already rejected 2.2 million ads for breaking political campaigning rules so far this season. Wow. Dan from Likeable recently wrote a blog post about how brands and marketers should navigate the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. And I learned some things. You can't even place a political ad seven days before the election. So we shouldn't be seeing any as of yesterday. Right. It's kind of insane how much parameter they're putting around what brands and marketers can do this time around, yeah. especially after the turmoil that came out of 2016. Yeah. So on that note, we'll be taking next week off for the election because we will be going out and voting. And yes. we encourage you all to do the same. Yes. Also encourage you to vote early as well as plan to drop your absentee ballots off in person as opposed to sending them in the mail. You get to skip the line. I know. I can't wait to drop mine off. Yeah. So I want to shift gears to food and wine. Yes. My favorite favorite. thing. I know. I know. I actually got a pop-up just before this about Eater's Wine Club. And I have like a tab open ready to read it because I want to join, even though I know nothing about it. (laughs) Well, I wanted to share that the scan feature on Snapchat has, you know, been pretty helpful for people to like identify songs Mm -hmm. or dog breeds. (laughs) 
and plants and trees apparently but now you can scan food and wine the labels yeah yeah i love that and it tells you the nutrition facts i am so on board for this as of right now there's 12 million types of wine labels that you can scan wow (laughs) that's a lot of wine i just my only question i have is about the user base of snapchat being over the age of 21 like what is the percentage there but obviously there's a use case yeah i would just like to see how it uh you know, ties in with augmented reality or filters or something like that too. Right. I'm sure you'll be able to scan a label and like unlock a filter. Or a coupon. Or a coupon. You know I love a good discount. So today we actually speak to someone in the food space, the Mm -hmm. CPG space, who I'm sure you can scan her products in stores (laughs) with the Snapchat camera. But we talked to Asha Abolesha, who is the founder and CEO of Mason Dixie Foods, which is a line of frozen biscuits, scones, and other baked goods that you find in the freezer aisle at your grocery store. Yeah. We hear her whole origin story about baking biscuits at nine years old for her sisters on Thanksgiving to selling out Whole Foods in three hours. Amazing. She's really cool. Let's get into it. Hi, Asha. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you. We start every episode with something we like to call the social media speed round. We're going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions and we want you to answer as fast as you can. Okay. Will do. Okay. What is your favorite social network? LinkedIn. Ooh. Rare answer, but I love it. I'm here for it. Okay. (laughs) What about your go-to emoji? Um, The, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like the eyes with no mouth. Mm -hmm. That's literally my reaction to about 90% of things people send me. (laughs) (laughs) How about Twitter or TikTok? Oh God, neither, but uh, I guess Twitter because I'm older. stories or feed feed what instagram ad can you not get rid of you know i don't i don't know why i'm getting them because i i don't have children and i don't have any intention of having children but i get fertility clinic ads like every four minutes oh man. i get those I've actually, too i i i can't stand it i started muting them because yeah. i'm just like this is this is very creepy so <laughs> what is your favorite meme oh gosh i don't know what it's called but it's this like young kid eating an apple with this like sarcastic like hoo, 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 face and I literally use that for about half of my conversation <laughs> I can't picture that one I need to look it up yeah we'll look it I'll, up. I'll send it to you okay 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 last question it's 2005 and you're on MySpace what song would be playing on your profile oh my gosh I used to have a MySpace and I think it was like bedroom talk by the starting line i was super emo back in the day yes wow (laughs) i just got chills i also of emo descent (laughs) i I still listen to the starting line sometimes michelle called me out the other day honestly yesterday because i was singing a song in my room really loudly that i didn't even realize and now that i'm thinking about it it was definitely like a throwback emo song (laughs) okay let's let's get into the actual interview i feel like i could talk about this for hours same yes so tell us a little bit about you and mason dixie foods yeah so um we have an interesting i think all-american dream story (laughs) in many ways um you know i i'm actually from baltimore maryland shout out to my be more peeps um but i you know i grew up in food my my parents used to own a small they call them carryouts in baltimore but it's like i guess like in new york it'd be like a deli i guess yeah Um, but it was a corner store deli kind of thing and i'll never forget we always used to serve comfort food 
And my mom would have anything from like, you know, fried chicken gizzards to collard greens, the whole nine. And I was really little, but I always remember that like, I, I used to see every kind of person from every walk of life in that store. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I think that memory kind of lasted and really ended up ultimately inspiring me to start Mason Dixie. But when, um, you know, when you're rooted in food from that early, it's kind of ingrained in you forever, despite what your parents want or think. Like I, <laughs> my parents are immigrants. My, my mom's Korean. My dad was Palestinian Israeli. The unifier for us was food. My, my dad hated mm -hmm. kimchi. My mom hated lamb. And so we could never agree on anything, but like fried chicken and pizza always won. Wow. So lucky for you as yeah. a kid. <laughs> You know, I, I, I remember that, you know, growing up and, um, you know, obviously my parents were like, go to school, be a doctor or a lawyer. So this first to go to college in my family, I put myself through school and Amazing. then, you know, my, thank you. And I, you know, I grew up very poor. We grew up in section eight housing, so I had to make my own way and ended up finding myself in restaurants because I, it was a good blending of, you know, here I am a blue collar kid in a white collar town, like Washington, DC in college. Mm -hmm. And there's all these affluent students. Um, I will say, though, I went to GW and, and people there are incredibly down to earth, despite yeah. what wealth they may have. I, I really treasure that about that school. But, you know, being able to take this white collar mentality off for a few minutes a day um, and obviously also bring in some income. And I just always thought like, man, the, you know, the fine dining industry is fabulous. And, you know, the the, the surface level you know, quick serve type stuff. It's so antiquated. It's still very beer wench, medieval times, mm -hmm. you know, set up. And so I was like, you know, it was inspiring to me. And in the back of my mind, I always had this dream that I'd be able to own a, a restaurant. So fast forward 15 years, I'd worked in tech in automotive consulting. And I, my last job was actually in, um, at Audi. Okay. Um, but I, I was feeling this glass floor like no other, right? I, I'd been turned down for multiple promotions. You know, I just couldn't get past go. I mean, the tech and auto industries are obviously to this day still very white male dominated. Yeah, right. And, you know, I couldn't really find my way. And so I said, you know, screw this. I'm not going to wait 20 years so that I could be the CMO or the head of HR. And I took the leap of faith and I decided to go out on my own and open up this business. And of course, my my thoughts were I'm going to open up a restaurant. And then kind of conceiving that, I was like, well, what am I going to do, right? The, the market's flooded with all these new fast casual concepts, and especially in DC. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a hotbed for startups, right? There's yeah. Sweetgreen, there's Kava, Kava. there's Five yeah. Guys, yep. Yep. right? And so, and so I'm like, okay, well, how do I compete in a world of health foods when I think ultimately what people still want is comfort cuisine. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, wait, Chick-fil-A is doing incredibly well. And then I looked at it and I was like, man, the global mentality around American Southern comfort food is freaking KFC and, and Popeye's, you <laughs> yeah, know? And exactly. I was like, that, that is a travesty, right? And so I was like, people don't even know what it's like to get home cooked food. And I actually, obviously growing up with it, I was like, I don't know how you don't make right. Southern comfort food handmade, right? How do you not make it from scratch? So, you know, I decided I was going to take that challenge on. And when I was thinking about how to do this at the time, Panera was doing incredibly well. And I love what they were doing from a service standpoint and day parts because the focus on bread allowed them to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go that direction. So I'm like, breads, breads, what breads have not been improved upon? And I'm like, a biscuit. My sisters, when I was very young, you know, we were latchkey kids and I had to cook dinner all the time. And I'll never forget one Thanksgiving, I had to make dinner. I asked them what they wanted. I'm thinking they're going to say stuffing. I'm thinking they're yeah. going to say turkey. <laughs> they're like, biscuits. And I'm like, I don't even know how to make a biscuit. I, I, I'll i never forget. I went to the public library because this is pre-Google, all right? Yeah. <laughs> I went to the public library and I got a Southern cooking cookbook and I photo 
copied a page of how to make biscuits. And biscuits aren't easy. No, no. They're easy to mess up. They're not easy. (laughs) They're very easy to mess up, especially when you're nine years old and you don't have any cooking (laughs) tools, you know, and I I was cutting them out with the top of a glass, you know, like a drinking glass, you know, and, but I'll never forget the reaction that, that morning, like they, they just dove into them. They didn't even care about the stuffing or the turkey or anything. Mm -hmm. And I, that visceral reaction to biscuits, I, I was like, there's gotta be something to that. So let me, let me see. I'll build this concept around it. And thus, you know, Mason Dixie was kind of born as a restaurant concept. But obviously, just told you, right, I left a 15 year career in like tech and auto consulting. Like, how was I going to convince DC with all these like, cool chefs and this like burgeoning mm-hmm. restaurant scene? How was I going to convince them that I could do this, right? I'm not a chef. So um, I thought about it. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to hire a pastry chef and figure out this recipe. I'm gonna, I mean, I gave him no joke, my photocopied public library recipe and i, I love was that like, you still had this. it oh my gosh because it was simple right it only had like seven ingredients yeah so i was like can you make this but like nicer <laughs> and he was like all right i'll do it and so he worked on the recipe and then i was like all right i gotta work on convincing the world that i can make a good biscuit and obviously i'm not a southern poster child for southern cuisine right? Right. i'm not blonde hair and blue eyed i don't have a southern draw there's so many pieces of this that were against me but i was like let me just see what happens. And back, this was in 2014. And back then, um, Kickstarter had just, you know, come out of the woodworks as this new 1-800-MY-IDEA website. I'm glad you brought up Kickstarter because I wanted to ask, because I personally view it as such a strong social platform that sometimes goes ignored. So tell us more about 1, that launch thousand. because I'm so curious. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're talking about this because I can't give Kickstarter enough kudos. When I first started this whole endeavor, I I knew I needed market data and I needed an opportunity to market myself and the brand to a global audience, right? And I also needed, I needed consumer points of interest. I needed to know, do they want biscuits or not, right? Right. So, and and I didn't want to just sample DC because I also thought it was a bit biased because DC was this hotbed. I felt like you could put dog food on a plate and people would be like, oh my God, this is fabulous. (laughs) So I was like, I need to go to the rest of the world and figure out, could I sell biscuits in San Francisco. So I ended up going on Kickstarter because I'd heard about it because it was this whole 1-800-MY-IDEA-IDEA idea thing. And I, and I actually, we were one of the only, I think one of, one of two maybe food concepts on the platform ever wow. at that time. Yeah. Um, but I loved it because it was like my space for ideas. Right? Yeah. Right. Because, you know, you know, like you had to build your own custom website pretty much. You had to do it within the bounds of the infrastructure and the CMS that they gave you. And then it didn't work if you weren't boosting it. And Correct. and most yes. people didn't understand that mechanism. So people would fail on it all the time because they didn't realize they had to promote it. They just thought it was like going to sit there and accumulate. Right. Hits. Right. You know, you got to push. So I, I put up a Facebook site a Twitter. And then I, I had this Kickstarter and I'm not joking for those 30 days, I was online 24 hours a day. <laughs> you have like, to be, if a dollar, yeah. you have to be, if a dollar came in, I immediately like said, posted about it. I acted like they gave us a million dollars and it was incredible because the more people talked about it, the more people gave me money right. and the more people gave me money. The thing that I think was most profound about Kickstarter is no one just gave me a dollar and disappeared into the ether. Every single, I think there were over 300, I I don't know what, contributors. And every single person sent me a private message. There was a story. They sent me photos of like their great, great, great grandfathers. Wow. This emotional reaction to the food that 
quite honestly, was really not that provoked. I, I literally was like celebrating biscuits on the site. <laughs> there was really no reason for anyone want to give me money, right? But it happened. And I think it was because it was so emotional. Yeah. And I got people all over the country. This wasn't just, you know, Southern grandmas in Georgia. And that's when I really realized I was on to something. And fortunately, obviously, we got a lot of backers from the D.C. area. So the second we closed, we raised about like 30 grand, I think, on the platform. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was great. It was, And honestly, it was just to start a pilot. But, mm. you know, one thing I learned in my career was if you're hot, you can't stop, no. right? Yeah. So we were all yep. the rage. Yeah, yeah. And all these people were reaching out like, when are we going to taste the biscuits? When are we going to taste the biscuits? And I'm like, crap, you know, I, I don't know, but let me figure this out. So we did full scale pop up. We're just going to show up with food until we can get rid of it. Right? right. And, and, you know, I don't know why, you know, I think about it all the time. Like now, like, you know, I don't think you can still do these things, but I don't know why um, Dolceza Gelato in DC decided to let me use their kitchen. I don't know why they thought this was a great idea because they didn't know me from, you know, John and yep. you know they 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 really opened up their doors. You know, I was like, hey, if you sell coffee and gelato, we'll sell some biscuits. It'll be great. That day, I'll never forget our our volunteer sous chef was looking out the window as he's like prepping fried chicken for the biscuits, and he's like, hey, Asha, there's people outside, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it's probably delivery people for Dolceza. You know, it's Saturday morning at seven thirty. Or you think um, you're like, so it's like my mom, mom, my dad, my, my yeah, close yeah, exactly. friends. It's, it's, it's exactly right. I'm yeah. like, it's either for Dolceza or it's my immediate family. <laughs> and it just happened to be a line four blocks long in the hood at seven thirty in the morning. Wow. Damn. And I was, I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, and people could not get enough of the stuff. And, and ultimately, I'll never forget this is one Sunday. And we had a couple of regulars that came by asking me to buy the dough. So I was like, all right, so there's something here. So against the, the, you know, advice of my pastry chef, who was like, you're going to ruin the integrity of the biscuits if you try to sell dough. Da, da, da. And I was like, well, let's just try it. Right. Yeah. So I froze some pucks that night. I started sealing these things off. I took black marker and I wrote the flavor. So I put them on ice and I said to, you know, my chef at the time was like, just sell as many as you can and um, let me know how it goes. So he ultimately did. And he calls me at 930 in the morning the next day. And he's like, hey, um, do you have any more biscuits? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm thinking he's talking about the sandwiches, right? I'm like, it's 930. Like, how did you not bring enough biscuits? He's like, no, it's the frozen ones, you know? And I was like, oh, you mean the ones that you said weren't going to work? Oh, those ones. <laughs> and it became this thing that people literally went out of their way on their commute to go grab. And I have no idea if they were putting them in their freezer at home or if they were taking them to work and freezing them and bringing them back. I have no right. idea how people were doing this. But it just became the coolest thing. And, you know, fast forward a few months later, we get secret shop by the regional marketing manager of Whole Foods. Oh, my God. So here I am. I have no idea what she's talking about. She asked me to bring a case of product. I was like, what the hell is a case? She said, you know, meet me at headquarters. And I'm like, in Texas? You know, I'm so confused. Yeah. Um, and fast forward about nine months later, um, we launched in our first Whole Foods store. It was the day before Thanksgiving. Well, we sold out of those by 1030 in the morning and we beat out butter and milk sales that day wow. at that store. That's an incredible so, stat. Butter yeah, and milk. I mean, that, that helped, milk. right? Wow. <laughs> so, so that went viral um, in the Whole Foods ecosystem. And so 20 other stores wanted us. And we just really all of a sudden now had this consumer business that, you know, we, we had no idea about. But that was kind of the birthplace. And then that's what really went kind of topsy-turvy because I was hoping to raise money for this restaurant. And all of a right. sudden I'm like, 
nope, every dollar that's coming out of that restaurant's going into this consumer product line. But it ultimately changed the face of the company forever because then we started having people that would be like from, you know, California or whatever. And, you know, they heard about the biscuits somewhere. So they came to the restaurant to go buy them. I mean, it was insane. So, you know, don't underestimate the influence of social media because <laughs> it's game changing. Amen. You know? yeah. I love yeah. that completely, your business completely transformed to what you originally thought it was and you ran with it. Like you didn't push back and say, no, you know, I'm a restaurant owner. Like, I, I love hearing about how you just went for it. Tell us more about the, like, you can't purchase the biscuits, like, through an e-commerce platform. So you have to have a partnership with these stores. Um, we mentioned we work with Giant Food, you're in Whole Foods, and that business is obviously booming. What is the relationship with your customer now? Like, how are you actively retaining and getting new people since you know everyone's so used to this digital digital age of being able to purchase online tell us more about that process and what that currently looks like for you i mean honestly in the last six months we've had the best six months ever wow don't let people tell you things because they think it's a trend i never believed <laughs> in trend data ever um i think you know your own eyes and your own ears tell you the real truth yeah. and i we're a walking story of that i mean up until December of last year, we had not $1 for marketing. Mm. Everything we did was grassroots, was relationship management, was social media, was direct to consumer feedback, right? And not one email. I'm not joking. Um, till the end of last year, I still to this day answer not every one of them, but I still answer emails. But up until the end of December, I answered every email personally wow. that came to the info email because I wanted to know the customer. Every DM, yeah. that was me. And it's really important, I think, because that's what builds trust in a brand. And that's what builds loyalty. And ultimately, it compounded. Um, I think that our loyalists went to market and, you know, continue to buy and realize that, you know, pandemic buying comfort food. I need my favorites. I need Mason Dixie in my life. And then there were the new people that came because, you know, the brilliance of what was going on with COVID is that retailers couldn't keep the shelf stocked with value items, economy items. So people that were used to buying Pillsbury or Mary B's or these other, you know, cheaper value mm -hmm. biscuits, all of a sudden couldn't get them. And then they saw next to them. So that's something actually really important to, to note. You know, one of the things I think that makes us very different from a lot of emerging brands is we did not choose to chase after a natural channel only strategy. Mm. Um, you know, coming from the tech and auto world, as much as you want a luxury consumer, ultimately yeah. the money is in converting mass, right? Right. And so for me, I was like, we're never going to be a biscuit brand that's world renowned if we only focus on affluent natural food shoppers. Those are all new consumers. I love them to death. They're amazing consumers. But the conventional consumer usually doesn't have options. And we're trying to give them a better option at a price point they can afford. Because now there was an incentive for them to try. Mm -hmm. um, and that just really lasted through this whole pandemic. We've, we've, we, we usually brought new consumers to the frozen aisle. But now here we are converting existing and it's, it's to the point now where we're actually the number one frozen biscuit in the Pacific Northwest and wow. even in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast now. So it's happening. One of the things that I think is really interesting, and I'm glad you brought up the health piece of it, is because there's this weird relationship that a lot of people don't view Southern cooking or comfort food or biscuits or scones <laughs> or anything like that with health. And I think you've really mm -hmm. done a great job at conveying that 
it, it can be made with good ingredients. Well, I was even thinking back in the beginning of this discussion when you mentioned like sweet green and kava mm, and yeah. like people wanting to go out of their way for these healthier kind of lunch options. It's like you found your own version of that. You didn't need that fast casual model. experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm a, I'm a true believer that health is not what you eat. Health is a lifestyle. Yep. And it involves Agreed. balance and it involves education and it involves um, access to honestly wholesome ingredients at the end of the day. Yeah. And yep. again, going back to like comfort cuisine always being handmade, it was mind boggling to me when I first started this whole business that I couldn't find a single biscuit that didn't have 70 ingredients in it. And of which some of them were like datum and aluminum. And I'm like, what the hell is in here? And <laughs> right. why? Right. And when I started chasing the why, I was incredibly disturbed at what was going on in the bread industry. And so for me, I was like, all right, the challenge that we have to give people is realizing that you can have the food you want. You just got to know what you're putting in your body. And you know, what's crazy is people think, oh, that resonates with a millennial consumer. You know, that's wonderful. But, you know, and the reality is our biggest, fastest, most loyal consumer segment is actually boomers. And I was going to ask you about that because I feel yeah. like biscuit spans generations. Yeah, it does. The fastest growing base and ultimately the most ignored, right, is this boomer generation who think about them as people. They are incredibly resilient. They've withstood multiple tech revolutions in their time on this earth and they've made it, right? They're all using iPhones. They're all on social media. <laughs> they're reaping the benefits, right? And they're also able to be the cool moms, cool grandmoms, you know, because they know about things, right? Yep. They know things. So they discover Mason Dixie and they tell their kids and they love to brag that they discovered us, right? They, they, they also have a lot of expendable income and mm -hmm. people ignore that. And so they're picky because they can be because the right. fruits of all their children and their grandchildren's generation are bringing these awesome products to market. And they're going, I can afford to do this because I don't have to feed kids no more. And my husband's got a health condition and he's got to be careful. But you know what? He's never going to eat that damn kale chip. He is going <laughs> to eat a biscuit. Right. So if he's going to eat a biscuit, am I going to make it? No, I've got arthritis. I don't want to hand make dough anymore. So I'm going to buy Mason Dixie and I'm going to lie to him and say I made it myself. I'm not joking. We have a ton of customers that tell us this <laughs> to the point where we have these, I mean, bless them. We have these women in the South that literally told us that they're lying to their husbands. And they can't because they're from the north and their husbands are southern. And if they don't want Mason Dixie to disappear because they're scared that their husbands are going to find out that they couldn't cook. Oh so my God, they that's go amazing. into stores and they merchandise for us. They literally make sure that the prices are, I mean, they're, they're crazy. I love them to death. So we have social media has allowed us to create this guerrilla marketing team of ultra. I'm not even calling them brand ambassadors. They're beyond that now. They're, they are family, soldier, women who are out there and men, honestly, who are out there doing everything they can for a brand to make sure that they're able to access things that they like. Yeah. That does not happen with millennial no. and Gen Zs. I mean, hearing the stories about these women and thinking about just the evolution of the company in general, community seems like it's always been mm -hmm. a, a huge, thing. you know, yeah, Absolutely. a huge driving force. What are you doing on social or how are you you know, getting these stories, we noticed that Mason Dixie is great at kind of proactively um, responding to people who tag them. And we know that you said you were the one Answering responding the to DMs. the DMs. Um, yes. Tell us more about how you're managing this community of 
ambassadors? You know, to this day, we still have a very hands-on personal relationship with our consumers, right? We, every email, every DM is touched by an actual team member. I do not believe in automated robots. I do not believe in social bots. I do not believe in fill in the blank responses. Yep. And that is what sets us apart. Yeah. I, I, every year at Christmas to my gorilla moms that are doing that crazy stuff and merchandising, <laughs> I send them gift bags of stuff that, you know, it's personal, right? It's not like an Amazon yeah. gift card or a coupon. It's like something personal that like reminds me of them. Um, you know, I, I take the time for our buyers, right? Like my favorite thing to do at Christmas is also send them cookbooks and a little swag bookmark. You know, it's just, it's, it's just mm-hmm. the thought you got to cultivate thought and you yeah. got to cultivate top of mind. And you can't do that by just being another product. You have to be a person. Yeah. And I'll never change that. I, I even, even when we can script things, we don't, I, we don't have mm-hmm. a single copy paste response because would you want to be treated as a consumer just like a copy paste? Like, I hate that. Stuff. Absolutely not. No, you because know? you can tell and, immediately. Oh yeah, you can. And there's really no excuse nowadays. If you have time to go on your personal social media and like some stupid, you know, cute animal posts, then you have time <laughs> to answer an email from your customer. It's true. A hundred percent. Well, I'm glad you said your personal social media, because we did want to talk about your, like kind of what you're up to now. So we wanted to explore a little bit more about your personal brand and what you're curating for yourself. Cause we did notice your personal Instagram is looking quite cute. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, that was forcibly done by my team. Cause they were like, Asha, if you're going to be on the back of the box, you got to have an Instagram account. And I said, okay, <laughs> I, I don't have time for this. Help me. I, I'm horribly introspective when it comes to me. Like, I don't really know why people like me. And I don't know what to tell people to make them like me. So I oh I, I had no clue how to start this thing. And, and I, I, you know, asked Colleen, you know, our marketing manager, and she's just like, well, you just got to be yourself. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? You know, so she's, she's brilliant at queuing up questions that make me respond like me. So I don't mm-hmm. sound forced. Um, and, you know, always believe in mentorship and tutoring. And now that, you know, I don't have to work in a corporate job and worry about my life being dedicated to whatever the corporate environment I was in is, I, I got a lot more time now. It's crazy. Even as a CEO of my own company, I have more time now to think about how I want to impact the world than I did when I worked for corporate America. Wow. And to, to me, it's because every day I think, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to think about how I want to live my life and what legacy I want to leave, right? I want people to walk away and feel like proud of me, like my own customers. I want them to be proud of me. I want them to say, oh my God, I met her one time and she is the real deal. Um, And in latest endeavor, I am a founding member of a, a community called Project Potluck. And it's not a nonprofit. It's not an association. It's literally just an organization and our only goal is to help build visibility, access, and community for BIPOC people in this country in the consumer product space. Because I, I mean, I'm living proof that if you're a, minor, a minority, if you don't know or you don't have access to the resources to help you climb, you cannot, no matter what anyone says. And I think that that C, the CEO of Wells Fargo, I think, said that ignorant shit about like pipeline. Yeah, yeah you know, right. It's, it's, why do you think that's the case, dude, right? If, if you don't have an intern that gets groomed to a manager that gets groomed to an executive, how the hell do you think you get pipeline built? <laughs> right. So, so the reality is you got to start somewhere. And so for us, the whole initiative is just about building that visibility, access to successful people, not only people of color. I mean, 
allies as well who want mm-hmm. to help perfectly qualified but invisible people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll never forget our kickoff uh, of Project Potluck was for our you know BIPOC members only, right? And it was literally just a meet and greet. We did this fun thing on Zoom. I don't know if you guys know this, but Zoom has breakout yeah, uh, mm-hmm, capability. Yeah. And so we did this fun breakout thing and people loved it. But I'll never forget at the end, you know, we just kind of left the last five minutes for people to give feedback or whatever. And this guy, Pedro, gets on and he he's like a, a delivery driver for, I think, Pepsi or Coke or something like that. And um, he just said, you know, thank you for this because... I, this this is going to change my life because I want to do better and I want to grow. And now I know I have people to talk to. I mean, I like I'm tearing up now. That's amazing. About it. No, know, yeah. When, That's the best thing. What exactly? And all it took was a fucking Zoom call. Right. It was right. a Zoom call. Just to, just to, to feel included. Yeah, exactly. 100%. To feel like. Damn, right. Aisha, we are proud of you. Yeah, I, I, say, I don't know if you like you. need to hear it from us, but <laughs> you're do. doing amazing shit. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I mean, like, honestly, like every day, all I want to do is make other people proud. Well, we're so glad you were able to share this story with us on the show. I mean, I certainly need to eat a biscuit for lunch yes. right now as well. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I honestly can't wait to try more of the varieties that you have and yeah. I'm sure are coming in the pipeline well, too. I do have an exciting announcement, actually. I'm saying anything fun coming exactly which day, but we are um, this week finally launching our own e-commerce site because <gasps> all these products, obviously, we've you know been talking about them and with COVID and all these reset delays, it's been hard to get them out as quickly as you want. Yeah. So this is our opportunity to get all of our you know loyalists to try all the new products. So that'll be launching later this week. Wow. Oh my God. Congrats. That's the best news. Thank you. Very exciting. I can't wait to order them online. I know. I saw a video on their Instagram for a chocolate chip scone ice cream sandwich. That sounds delicious. Innovative. I'm similar to her brand, honestly. There clearly was a market for biscuits. Yeah. I mean, there still not even was. I don't know why I used past tense. I feel like biscuits... I mean, aside from what Asha said about their business doing well during COVID, but on all the like bread baking trends, there's also those sour cream and onion biscuits. I was going to bring those up too. I know. Um, They're very versatile. Oh, another thing we like to make. What? We had it last week. The chicken pot pie with the biscuits Biscuits. on top. What a good use case for this too. Wow. I love the potential here. Same. Very exciting. Okay. Do you want to talk about the account everyone should follow this week? Yeah, so the account we want you to follow is Party City. You know them well. You may have seen them in your feeds this week because Dale from The Bachelorette, some photos surfaced of him modeling Party City Halloween costumes. Think a gladiator, a taco paired with a very cute little dog costume as well. Um, Superman. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun with the Party City team this week creating some content around it. So on Twitter, um, you know, we did the how it started, how it's going Mm -hmm. meme. And then my favorite on TikTok, (laughs) we did Dale's Party City Halloween costumes as scenes from The Bachelorette. Fun. So like in the Gladiator costume, he's there to fight off the guys there for the wrong reasons. Clever. Um, The taco pairs great with The Bachelor in Paradise margaritas. Nice. And then, of course, Superman because... They didn't have budget for a helicopter this season. <laughs> I like all of these. Very timely yeah. and a great use case for TikTok. Yeah. So go check it out and give them a follow. 
Okay, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, we will be taking a short break next week for the election. So everyone, please go out and vote. And we will be back with a new episode on November 11th. All the social ladies, 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 all the social ladies. Now put your phones up.